would invite you to turn in a Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, where we will be hanging out here this morning. Uh, and as you do that, if you're kind of newer with us, or maybe you've missed a few, what we've been uh, doing over the last several weeks is we've been uh, working our way through the book of Ephesians in what we call in preacher talk, uh, expository preaching. That you could say rather than taking a topic and then seeing what the scriptures have to say about it, uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, we do that all the time. Uh, in, in this case, we're working our way passage by passage through the book of Ephesians and just kind of, you could say, bumping up against the topics that it has for us as it lays a foundation for what it looks for us to follow Jesus. And so uh, kind of an overview of what we see in those six chapters of Ephesians. Uh, we've covered the first half, chapters one, two, and three, which uh, basically is all about reinforcing the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, that what we just sang, the reality of what we could not do and only God can do to bridge that chasm for us. And then out of response uh, to saying yes to his grace, his forgiveness, his lordship in our lives, chapters four, five, and six, the back half of Ephesians, then say, okay, because we've said yes to Jesus, that there's implications for that. Like, this is what your life should now look like. And it's, uh, as it turns, like you turn over to chapter four, verse one, it says to, quote, live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And so today what we wanna look at as it comes to that life that we live is how we live this life in the context of our life's relationships. In the context of our life's relationships. And I can think of no I guess you could say topic that more all-encompasses all the fabric of life than the topic of relationships because it intersects with everything we do everywhere we go. Uh, and so with this understanding in mind, I want to take some, just some specific time to pray specifically for the relationships that are in our lives and that God would speak through his word into them for us. And so with that, uh, would you pray with me here today? Father, we all walked into the room um, with a lot of relationships, lots of kinds of relationships, and maybe different, um, maybe adjectives that we'd use to describe maybe the state or the nature of those relationships in our life. Uh, whether our marriages or maybe our family life, maybe extended family, maybe there's stuff in our neighborhood or at our workplace, or you know, some of us have school coming up in months, but maybe we are, are dreading that for relationship reasons. Um, and so God is your church, we want to be a place that's uh, developing healthy relationships, that is our, our mission, that we would be growing and serving together in relationship, that we understand that that ultimately fuels our most important relationship with you, that we become more devoted followers of you, that as we learn from your example, that you display perfectly in who you are, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and how you extend that through your Son, Jesus to us to both have in relationship with you and to live out just like him in our relationships. We pray that you would lead us in your word as just as importantly you lead us in our life's relationships. May it be in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. All right, so with that, chapter five, verse 21. Here's what Ephesians has to say about our life's relationships with really this you could call it an umbrella verse. Verse 21 is gonna serve as an umbrella verse over all of life's relationships as it understands it this way, that in our life's relationships, we are, it says to submit. That we are to submit to one another, so mutual submission, out of reverence for Christ. That this is 
the umbrella verse. This is the underlining reality of how we do relationships the way that Jesus did a relationship with us, that we would mutually submit one to another out of ultimately reverence for Christ. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I think the best way to describe it is simply this. So when we submit, put someone else before ourselves, uh, like in my case, I would just say, it is when I make your deal a bigger deal than my deal. That's it. That submitting to someone is choosing to make someone else's deal a bigger deal in your life than your own deal. Uh, another way we see this described is in the book of Philippians, uh, kind of unpacking this thought further, saying, quote, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not just looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Or in other words, commit your life to making other people's deal a bigger deal than your own deal. And why would we do this as followers of Jesus? Well, because that's the precedent that Jesus set for us. As Philippians goes on in verse five, uh, again, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who him, being in the very nature God, chose to make himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so these next few passages in Ephesians, they're gonna show us how we live out this mindset of Jesus of what it looks like to submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. And very specifically, it's gonna lay out how this plays out uh, in marriages between wives and husbands. Then from there, it's gonna go on to, in chapter six, what it looks like between kids and parents and family life, as well as into our work life, employees and bosses, you could say. Uh, but even as we have these specific descriptions, we recognize that there's lots of other settings not specifically named in the passages we're looking at. I mean, some of you here today are, are single or divorced or perhaps when it comes to work, you're retired. But let us note that in every relationship, even as we capture some transferable principles, that in every setting, that there's gonna be this umbrella understanding, that we're looking for ways to make someone else's deal a bigger deal than our own deal, to have this opportunity to submit one to another so that they, in that relationship, would A, get a glimpse of Jesus in the way that we're treating them, and that anyone around them or around us would also catch a glimpse of the way we're living our lives to give them a glimpse of Jesus, to be salt and light uh, in our world, as Jesus says. Because Paul, what he goes on to say, when it comes to, when we live relationships like this, submitting one to another, like it's kind of a strange thing that we would do this. It's pretty upside down. It's not the way the world works. And so Paul, he says, specifically pointing to marriage, but I think it's true in any relationship that we mutually submit one to another, that we would be demonstrating what he calls a profound mystery. And he says, what I'm talking about, actually, is the mystery of Christ and the church. Because it is. I mean, it's an it's a unbelievable thing that the God of the universe would actually submit to us, as he did in Jesus Christ, to the point of death on a cross, that we in turn respond to him by submitting our lives to his. It's a, it's a mystery, it's a powerful reality. 
And so with this framework in mind, let's jump into some specifics that Ephesians has for us. We're going to start with our marriage relationships. Uh, And even as I say that, I want to kind of make sure that we all understand that when it comes to our marriage relationships, like if you're a married person here today, that uh, every single one of you who is married, you are right now in, you could say, one of three seasons of marriage. That you're in a season of marriage where you're like, you're just killing it, uh, or it's killing you, or maybe neither, like you're just, you're just kind of surviving. Uh, we, if you've been married even for a few minutes, like you know, there's just those seasons where it's like you're killing it, like you're good, like you're both putting in the effort, and it almost feels effortless, like it's just a sweet season, and we love those seasons. But then there's those seasons where it's like, man, like we're just talking past one another, like we just can't seem to get on the same wavelength, like, like it's, it's killing us, and, and I'm not sure, like if you're really honest, maybe you're not even sure how it is, or if it is, that you're gonna get out of this season. But then there's those seasons that, if, you know, there's just those days, those time periods where it's not awesome, it's not awful, but it's just kind of like, you know, it's just kind of there, it's kind of flat, or as we said, maybe just surviving, okay? And so, what I want us to understand with that is what the scriptures are about to say when it comes to wives and husbands and, and how we treat one another, like it's always true. But what that looks like is going to, you could say, intersect differently based on just the nature of the dynamic of kind of how you all relate to one another and with that kind of what season of marriage you are in. Knowing that, again, that umbrella verse, if we choose to make our spouse's deal a bigger deal than our own deal, that wherever you're at, whatever season, you're gonna gain some ground. You're gonna gain some ground in your marriage and ultimately in who you are in following Jesus, okay? So, with all of that in mind, we're gonna jump into starting with the wives, but hang tight, ladies. The fellas are on the hook next. All right, verse 22. Ephesians says, wives... And now I know for the verse that you all have been waiting for, you ladies drink... I know, coffee out of a mug that had it imprinted on it. Um, Like you've got your favorite sweatshirt at home. It's bedazzled in this verse. I know, I know. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. And then Paul, summing all this up, if you jump down to verse 33, says you can boil it down to the wife must respect her husband. Now, ladies, wives in the room, um, you know, I look at you, and on the outside, I see kind of like that that squinty-eyed, like kind of pondering what is about to be said. Uh, But on the inside, I sense you're shooting like laser beams out of your eyeballs in my general direction as if to do me harm. And I get it. I get it because of the way that this verse and other verses like it have been, let's be honest, largely by men misused throughout the history of the church. And often at the neglect of like Galatians 3 that reminds us that men and women that, that we are equal. And another important note that uh, this passage, note that it does not say that we should be, that women submit to men. It just says wives to your own husband. And so even with that, so what does that mean? Well, 
it's probably important to note what it does not mean. It, it doesn't mean that, uh, like, your husband gets to make, like, all the decisions or all the important decisions or, like, he's the boss of you or anything like that, uh, which you're going to clearly see when you get to the husband section here in just a moment anyway. But the best definition that I've ever heard when it comes to this understanding of what it means for wives to, quote, submit to your own husbands is simply this. To submit, ultimately, is an invitation to lead. To submit is to extend your husband an invitation to take the lead. Because we know, ultimately, and you know, it's, it's ultimately up to you. Because if you don't want to be led, then you will not be led. And so this is something that you have to consciously and intentionally choose. Uh, for Jessica and I, my wife and I, in our marriage, one of the ways uh, that this plays out for us is behind the wheel. Now, I'll take a moment to brag on my wife here a little bit. Like, Jessica is an excellent driver. But even as I say that, if you are ever on the road and you are in front of her, you might think you see a minivan in your rearview mirror. But make no mistake, it is a stock car. It is a stock car, and if she's behind you, she feels like she's losing. And so she will drift, and she will pass you on the way to church. No fear. Now, I, on the other hand, I would not say that I'm a bad driver, but I am, as they say, a mindless and distracted human being. And when you put mindless, distracted human beings behind the wheels of vehicles, it's not always a great combination for driving, nor for marriage, as I've learned. And with that, so nevertheless, my wife, she still lets me take the lead, like drive our family around town. Um, and, and I'm not saying that driving should be a gender-specific thing. Like wives, like whatever, however you do that is totally fine. I'm just saying that's just what she chooses to do to kind of let me take the lead in our particular family. But I know, I'll tell you, there are those days where I just know, like I'm already kind of on the edge and I'm like, why don't you just drive uh, us to this next location here? And because uh, it's that situation where I don't mind being a scrub, <laughs> hanging out the passenger side <laughs> of my wife's minivan ride just to make sure she doesn't holler at me <laughs> for my poor driving. Little TLC 90s R&B for those who might have picked up on that. And so Jessica, she, she chooses this. She chooses to, to honor me, to let me take the lead, even if in a super simple way when it comes to driving around town. Now, I'm just gonna tell you, like, these kinds of things, like for us guys, like these are big deals. Like it might seem like simple things, but when you choose to let us lead, like it, it, it's a big deal. Because um, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. For us guys, just, just so you know, like whether age 9 to 99, like none of us fully graduate emotionally from about the 8th grade. And what that means is uh, that we have, ever since we were little boys, we've been asking this question. Do I have what it takes? 
Like as a little boy, that's, you know, we were trying to impress our dad by playing baseball or football or whatever. And then, then you came along with, you know, uh, with your nice hair and your pretty smile. And ever since we've been trying to kind of bow up and, and show you that we have what it takes. We want to know the answer to this question that we have what it takes. And as our wives, you have this amazing power to either kind of help fuel that or honestly, also you have the power to siphon it out. You see, us guys, we're really not that sophisticated. We already know you're way smarter than us. And so in a lot of ways, we're just kind of like, kind of like puppies. Um, hang with me. Uh, with puppies, we know what gets rewarded gets repeated. And so if we take the lead, if we initiate, if we you know, load the dishwasher or set up a date night or do something with the kids, like you just pat us on the head and you say, good boy. And we will, we will wag our tails. We will drool all over that. And the reason is, is because um, maybe you're familiar with the book, The Five Love Languages, or you've heard that terminology about what it is as your love. Like for, for us guys, you are always speaking our language when you show us honor and respect and encouragement and invite us to take the lead. Like that fills us up. It's just how God wired us. Now, even as I say that, um, husbands, uh, if you would say you're in a season of marriage or the kind of marriage where maybe you feel like you're, you're not really receiving that, like uh, you, you feel like you're, you're not being filled up by her, I'm, I, I'm reminded of what psychologist and speaker and author Jordan Peterson says when it comes to life. Um, he, he says that so much of life is, is contending, is sometimes battling, and we kind of mentioned that a little bit ago, like sometimes in our marriages, we're in that season where there's kind of some contention or some contending going on, or it's not going the way we want. And he just kind of gave this kind of point blank that I thought was super helpful uh, and obvious when it comes to what we expect in our marriages. And he, he just says, husbands, like, quote, when you got married, like, what did you expect? Like, did you expect that she would just walk around all day singing your praises until death do you part? At the end of the day, um, we realize there's some reality that plays out and kind of, again, some contending with all this. But while we'll never get away from the question as guys, do I have what it takes? The reason I point this kind of clause out is because even if you would say that your wife isn't filling you and they may be funneling in you out of that, like ultimately we, it doesn't matter in some ways because we can't actually find the answer to the question, do I have what it takes in our wives? Like, no wife or, frankly, no person on the planet can answer that question for you. In fact, if you try to put that pressure on someone else, they will buckle under it. Now, now it's gravy if they want to help fill that up. Like, that's exactly uh, what fuels us. But ultimately, in our lives, men, like, we have to only take that question to our Heavenly Father. That we go to him, and it's he that defines us. This whole book of Ephesians has all been about our identity as a child of God in Christ. He's the one that defines us, gives us our identity, and then it's out of the overflow of that identity, we then get to offer that to our wives. Does that make sense? And so we can't go to our wives and say, hey, I need you to give me the strength I need. No, no, no. We get our strength from Christ alone, and then we get to offer that strength to our wives. Okay? And I know there's um, kind of disclaimers and all this with that, but with that, it's out of the overflow of that identity that when we are finding our identity in Christ, that we then, verse 25, 
can do what we're called to do. As it says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You might say, man, that's a pretty high standard. Uh, And it is, that's why, again, it can only be by the identity and the strength of Christ in us that we can do what Jesus did for us as his church. Because as we think about what Jesus did, I mean, how does he love us? I mean, Jesus, he initiates, he pursues us, he forgives us. I mean, think about it. Did Jesus wait for you to get your act together before he died for you? No, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for this or for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what this means is that you could say regardless of how well your wife is behaving or acting or reacting, that just as Christ loves us, even when we let's be honest, act, react, are disrespectful to God in the way that we live our lives, that in the same way, nevertheless, we are to love and serve our wives. Verse 26, it says to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In other words, husbands, it's, it's, it's like on us to make sure that the things of God are a priority in our home, that we're prioritizing you know, being engaged in the church and having our kids engaged and first kids and student life and that, you know, that our house is kind of being run by what the Bible would tell us to run our lives with and that prayer is a part, like, that these things are a priority in our home. Like it's an invitation for us to take the lead in these ways. Verse 28 goes on and says, and in the same way, Husbands, you ought to love your wives, love their wives just as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. Now, this verse right here is definitely a husband verse. Because wives, we know there's always something that you don't like about your bodies. But guys, there's something unique about how we just never seem to hate our own bodies. I mean, we see it like with age, you know, things start to change, you know, that Six-pack gets buried under a keg, and there's more hair on our backs than seems to be on our head. But nevertheless, he can just get out of the shower, catch a glimpse of himself in the mirror, and be like, still got it. Not as good as I once was, but as good once as I ever was, I suppose. And so, husbands, here's what this verse means. It means that you could say, I guess, the day before you got married, like you were, you could say, an expert in you. Like you knew you. You knew what you needed. You knew what you wanted. You knew what you liked. Like the day before you got married, if you're driving down the road and you're thirsty and you want some of your, like, whatever your favorite pop is. Like, no one had to tell you what your favorite pop was. Like, you knew. And not only did you not need to know what your favorite pop was from you already knew, you knew the place to go, the fast food restaurant that made your favorite pop the favorite way that you like to have it. I mean, you, you just kind of know you. You are an expert in you. And that's the invitation. In the same way that we love ourselves naturally, we are called to learn and love our wives. Um, probably the best marriage advice I've ever received to date again, amidst all the tips and the tricks and the advice and the counsel was just a simple understanding. That was from another pastor. He just said, you have to learn the wife that God gave you. Like, like you know, she's, 
unique. Your relationship and how you guys intersect is unique. Like, you just have to make sure above all the advice, the counsel, the tips, the tricks, the way somebody else does it, like at the end of the day, you have to learn the wife that God gave you. And, and I get it. Like, she's complicated. You know, marriage is complicated. Like, like I get it. It's complicated. But then again, so is the stock market. You know, tracking deer, kind of complicated. Fantasy football, as much as you love it. Like, it's still a little complicated how all that works. But you learn it because it has value to you. Like, these are the things you care about. And in the same way, guys, that we are asking that question, do I have what it takes? The question that our wives have been asking Use this one? Okay, all right. Um, the question that little girls have been asking is, am I valued? Am I cherished? Am I loved? It's why my daughter, my youngest, comes home from like every dance class just wanting to show me her latest spin, her latest twirl, uh, because she wants to know that her dad cherishes her, that her dad values her. And so for our wives, that path of loving her is paved with giving attention to learning her, her wants, her needs, and her desires in the same way that we naturally know our own. As this passage sums up in verse 33 for the fellas, that each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. Daily pursuing, you could say, just figuring out ways to make her deal a bigger deal than your deal. And you might say, like, okay, what if I do all this? And she never reciprocates. You know, I do all this loving and the serving, and she never seems to do any honoring and respecting. Like, what do I do? That? Like, what if she takes advantage of me? Well, guess what? The good news is the vow that you made was till death do you part. And so even if it kills you, <laughs> you're out. <laughs> and if you know Jesus, you're in heaven, so you'll be fine. All right, moving on. Chapter six, verse one. Let's talk about parents and kids. Okay, children. Okay, real quick, who are children in this particular setting? Well, because we recognize we live in a day and age where the, I guess you could say the demarcation between who a children is and who an adult is could not be fuzzier. Uh, you know, according to, you know, the bottle of Advil, uh, an adult is 12. Uh, according to the DMV, it's 16. According to voting laws, it's 18. According to Anheuser-Busch, it's 21. Um, according to Delta Airlines, it's two. <laughs> and if you have four kids, that's when you gotta buy four adult seats. Just a pro tip if you haven't started counting how many you're gonna have yet. So anyway. <laughs> so for the sake of our conversation, who is a children? We'll say, okay, if you are still on your parents' insurance, Okay, like then you're a children in this particular passage understanding. Yes, I know you have your own dorm room and you keep it clean. I'm super proud of you, way to go. But it, if your parents still financially support you, you are a children in this case, all right? So with that, chapter six, verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And by right, that just simply means that's just the way that God designed it from the beginning. Verse two, honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise. And the promise is, verse three, 
so that it will go well with you and you may enjoy life, long life on the earth. In other words, there's this supernatural blessing and reality that it will go well with you according to the promise of God when you obey and honor your parents. And so kids in the room, just some quick ways that you can do this. Obviously, the scriptures say, obey. Obey, even when you don't fully understand. You gotta trust their perspective because when you honor them, this honors God. A second way you could do this is to honor them the way that you talk to them. It's a refrain on repeat in our house all the time. Ah, It's not what you said, it's the way you said it. And so you can honor or dishonor your parents just in the way that you talk with them. Uh, And then one more, tell the truth. Tell the truth. I'm telling you, telling the truth is the secret sauce to verse three, to quote, it going well with you and enjoying a long life here on the earth. (laughs) And so tell the truth. Even if you have to tell the truth about the fact that you've been lying about something for the last three weeks. Because I'm telling you, when it comes to love languages, telling the truth is your parents' love language. It's a secret sauce, okay? Now, parents. It goes on, it says, fathers, and don't misunderstand, it absolutely takes mothers and fathers, but it starts with fathers taking the lead, an invitation to lead, as we looked at earlier. It says, as parents, do not exasperate your children. Um, you could say exasperating our children is when we do lots of talking and telling, telling and talking. And I tell you, I'm guilty of this. I mean, think about it. Like, I talk for a long time with no one interrupting me for a living. Like, <laughs> stinks to be a kid in my household, right? Lots of talking and telling opportunities, my poor children. But don't do this. Don't just talk and tell. Do not, quote, exasperate um, your children, but instead, Bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. And so rather than just talking and telling, that training and instruction, that is modeling and demonstrating. Modeling and demonstrating in your own life. Because we know this as parents, like we were children's once too, and we, we know that children at best are mediocre listeners. But... They are incredible imitators. They are incredible imitators. And so, again, true of every relationship in our lives, that when we pursue Jesus, his will and ways, that as we do that, then we will naturally be training and instructing them in the Lord by the way that we live our lives with kind of that old adage, much more will be caught than will be taught. Much will be caught than taught when we live it out first. And then last section here for the relationships that Ephesians points to specifically is, you could say, the workplace. Uh, It starts off this section saying, slaves. Now, some translations, uh, I think, are more helpful in using the term bond servant, uh, which really more accurately gets at it because slavery in the first century uh, when Ephesians was written is not the same thing as the horrific chapter of American history where one race dehumanized and treated as property another race. Now, in the first century, um, if you had a debt, 
that you could literally work yourself out of that debt as a bond servant or an indentured servant, if you're familiar with that terminology, and, and eventually earn or buy back your freedom. And so really the closest thing that we have in our current day would be uh, kind of our workplaces, of an employee and a boss relationship. So kind of transferring that to our current context, um, that in our workplaces we want to, quote, obey our earthly masters uh, and respect them with fear and sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Verse six, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. In other words, uh, that we live out, whether we love our job or hate our job or love our boss or hate our boss, like our work ethic remains the same. Our work ethic is to be working the same, whether, quote, their eye, the boss's eye is on you or not, but verse six, because we wanna work as unto Christ, doing the will of God from your heart that you, verse seven, that you would work and serve wholeheartedly with integrity. And so the idea of whole or integrity, it comes from the word uh, integer, uh, which is a, a term in algebra that means a whole number, that when you work and serve with integrity, with your whole self, when you are the same person, the same hard worker, whether the boss is around, whether everybody's around, or whether nobody's around, that when you do this, of course, you honor your boss, you honor your place of employment, but you also serve as a witness to your boss, to your coworkers, and anyone else who might catch a glimpse of that kind of work. But then ultimately, it says, verse seven and eight, you honor God because you're serving the Lord, not really people at the end of the day with your work ethic, because verse eight, you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And so, yes, we honor God, but then even furthermore, that reward is when we honor God and we work this way, like, you honor you. You honor you in the way that you choose to work. Again, whether the boss's eye, everybody's eye, or nobody's eye is on you. You're the same no matter what, integrity, wholeness. And then verse nine says to, to masters or, or bosses or really anyone who leads anything, uh, it says treat your slaves or really you would not obviously treat anyone that way. Uh, treat those under your authority in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he, speaking about God, he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Simply put, whatever context that you find yourself being the one in charge, whether you are the CEO of a business or the coach of a team or uh, the room mom of a classroom, like when it comes to anything, marriages, families, in that environment, it really comes down to are you living and leading in such a way that you are representing and pointing the other person and those who might catch a glimpse of that relationship toward the master, toward the ultimate master, toward Jesus, to their master and yours, where it says again, verse nine, there is no favoritism with him. And so we get it. I mean, we covered a lot in a little bit of time. This is a tall task. This is a lot to do. But may we be encouraged and reminded this is not our own strength. It is the strength of God and that the one who calls us to these things also equips us for these things to do, as it says in Ephesians 2.10, the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do in our life's relationships. 
And so with that, let's pray expressing our trust in him for providing all that we need in this. Heavenly Father, as we said at the beginning, we kind of close out at the end. We recognize that there are so many variables when it comes to the relationships that we have in our life and the season that we are in right now. And so God, we wanna put into practice by the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us, these things, um, trusting that you'll be at work and making these circumstances uh, of these relationships better. But we also recognize, God, that we can't control someone else, that we can only control ourselves and we wanna be controlled by your Spirit, self-control, fruit of the Spirit. And so even if our circumstances don't get better, we know that when we honor you by making someone else's deal a bigger deal than our own deal, um, that we get better that you make us better, that we are becoming more devoted followers of you as we are changed, not from the outside in, not from the circumstance in, but from the inside out, from you working in and through us. And so as we go here, the people of First Christians, we go into our families and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and in a couple months, our schools, as we go, that we would be salt and light, that when people get a taste of us, they get a glimpse of us, they would taste you, they would see you, and that we would, that we would have an impact for your kingdom here in our city, not by some like take the city campaign, but that we would take seriously the way in which you've called us to live a life worthy of the gospel that we have received a relationship with you in. We need you to do this, and that's why we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen and amen.